All right, I have an uh, assignment for the young disciples at home and in here. Uh, I am going to explain what born again means, and so I want you at the end of the service to see if you can tell me what born again means. And if you're at home, I want you to text it to me or put it in the comments below. Uh, parents, you can help your young ones um, relay that message. So what is born again? What does it mean? Um, you older disciples can pay attention too. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said, if Jesus were born a thousand times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. Uh, that, that is the essence of our faith, of Christianity. We are lost, and then we are found. We are lost, and without divine intervention, we are lost. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's the good news. Right? That's Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The Father has sent Jesus to come and find his children. To gather his children up. We are his lost children. All of us and know some experience of being lost, right? We've known an experience of being lost with physically, right? You maybe you've been driving around and like you don't know where you are and you're confused, you're, disor- you're disoriented. It's troubling. I mean, nowadays we have these little devices in our pocket. We can put in the thing and like that wasn't always the case, right? Now I, I don't even know where I am. I just like, well, Google's telling me where to go. I'll just follow what Google says, period. And most times Google helps me out. But we used to have these Thomas guys, and we have to scout it out, and I used to love all that. But sometimes we feel lost uh, spiritually or emotionally. We get disoriented in this world, that we, we don't belong, or we don't know what we're doing, or maybe in our job or career, that we just feel lost and wandering around. And then if we're parents, I'm sure at some time we have lost our children for a moment or maybe longer. And we know that panic that sets in, that when we lose our children. I can remember one time when Josh was three, we were in Walmart, and uh, I turned around, and I turned back around, and he was gone. Uh, and it was probably me, it wasn't him. And I, you know, the media thought, like, wh- you know, you start yelling his name, you start searching all over, and it took me a good five minutes to find him, and he was all the way at the other end of the store because he panicked and started running. And fortunately, the, the greeters at Walmart stopped him from leaving. Uh, but I just remember that moment, this, just a panic stricken. It's like, there is nothing I can do at this moment to find him. I, mean, I can search and crawl at his name, but I can't find him. And there was panic in my heart. This is the heart of God. God is not panicked, though, but he is in a relentless pursuit of his children who keep running away from him. He knows us and he knows where to find us and he is relentless in this pursuit. To understand the passage today, we have to go back just a few verses uh, uh, in chapter two. Right, Last week we talked about right, Jesus' zeal and his zeal for proper worship. 
And that's where he, he turned over the, uh, the tables and the temple, and he, he drove out the, the, uh, the cattle and the oxen and the animals out of the temple, right, to get people, this is the proper place to worship and allow people access to worship God with this proper worship. And he said this last thing in chapter 2, which is a, really a segue into this um, chapter today. So John 2, 23-25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his days when they saw the signs that he was doing. So they saw that what he was doing, saw the actions he was doing. So they believed in him. And that, I wouldn't say that is like they understood who he was, but they're like, oh, this, guy, this guy's interesting. We're, we're following him for a moment. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, partly because they believed because of what they saw. Because he knew that all people needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows the lostness of every one of our hearts. He knows each and one of every one of us is lost. Even those like, oh, yeah, your signs are interesting. He knows that we are lost. He knows that we are in spiritual ignorance, and he knows that we're in spiritual darkness. He knows. We don't have to reveal it to him. Although, I think at sometimes we feel the necessary, necessary to reveal it to everyone else and to him, that we are in spiritual darkness. And so we open our mouths and we speak. Right? Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I mean, what a great, I mean, that, is, that, is that not the proverb of the day? Right? We, we, we don't want to, to actually understand things. We just want to express our opinions. And where Scripture says, that's a spiritually dark person. That's a fool. That is not one that is following God. Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fool proclaims folly. This, this eagerness right, to share our lostness, our spiritual darkness when we speak. God doesn't need us to speak. He knows our hearts. Our, our words just reveal our hearts. And this is the segue in which we now ent- enter Nicodemus. A, a person in spiritual darkness and a fool. John 3, 1 through 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Right? He just said, I don't entrust myself to anyone. Enter Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus is certainly an older man. He's older than Jesus. We know he's probably an older man because he's part of, he's not just a, a Pharisee who is a teacher or a, a pastor or right a rabbi, but he's also part of the ruling class. He's part of the, the Sanhedrin so he's, kind of, he's, he's like an elder of a church, but even more, he's like a, a senator of the Israelites. I don't, that's a terrible imagery nowadays as we think about what senators are in our minds. But the, this is who he is. He has great standing. He is an elder and a person that has uh, influence, and he ought to know, he does know the scriptures, and he ought to know it better than everyone else. And he does. Nicodemus comes at night, it says, in the darkness. But he's not hiding from the rest of the Pharisees. Sometimes many people, he does this because he's hiding from the rest of the Pharisees. We know that he probably is not because he actually says, we know 
when he addresses Jesus. So he is actually probably sent by the rest of the Pharisees, hey, go check out this man who just did this in the temple. Go find out. This is interesting. We want you to go figure out what's going on with him. But John, the author of this gospel, uses night and this imagery as an allusion to spiritual darkness, to people being in spiritual darkness. In John eleven ten, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So this is just one of the main imageries that John is using in his gospel. So here we have Nicodemus, who is spiritually lost, who is in spiritual darkness, comes to Jesus in his darkness at night. And he identifies him. This is really fa- He identifies Jesus as a rabbi. Now, what do we know about Jesus? He is not a traditional rabbi. Rabbi is a, is a, a word of reference, uh, uh, and it's also say your teacher. But in order to be a rabbi, you would have to study and come under a rabbi. And we know Jesus, that was not his occupation. His occupation was a carpenter. And yet he has this incredible authority and knowledge because he is God. And so Nicodemus, who is part of the ruling class of elders and rabbis, he comes to Jesus and kind of says, Hey, rabbi, we know, we know that you're, you are something special. He actually kind of uses this term, says, look at, identify, hey, why don't you, you're part of my club. Come, you're part of my club, right? We are teachers together, right? So it's this kind of identifying with each other. But what, what, what Nicodemus says, look at, he's in his subtext right here, is right, I'm a teacher because I've learned how to be a teacher, right? I've gone through the process. You're a teacher, you're a rabbi, because of your great signs that you do. I've seen what you do. You're obviously from God, not because of what he teaches, because of what he does. It's kind of a little swarmy. It's kind of a little, a little dig at, at Jesus. He's basically, who are you? Who are you? I know you're from God because of your signs, but he doesn't identify him as a prophet. He doesn't identify him as the Messiah. He says, you're a teacher right? You're a teacher. Nicodemus, in this moment, as he greets Jesus, greets him in spiritual darkness because he knows not who he is. He reveals his lostness by the way he approached Jesus. And immediately, Jesus goes after Nicodemus's learning. This, this is what Nicodemus is proud about. This is what he's known for. And he goes after his learning, saying, he really says to Nicodemus, I really don't want to be in your club. I really don't want to be, you know, one of the Sanhedrin. I really don't want to be in darkness. He's really saying, Nicodemus, you need to be in my kingdom. You need to be in my kingdom. And so he responds, John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, three times in this passage, Jesus says, truly, truly. Now, I've said this before, that this word is Amen. And so we, we often say it at the end of prayers, and so it's this idea of this word of truth, but he repeats it twice, and it's really this idiom of saying, hey, pay attention, Nicodemus. What I am saying is the truth. You need to hear this. This is true. I mean, this is like an emphasis. And so when we, when we say it at the end of the prayers, this is what we're saying. This is true. Let this be. So be it. That's another way you could translate it. But it's the emphasis that this is true. 
This is what Jesus, and so he's really trying to get Nicodemus, you need to pay attention to this teaching in which you do not know. You need to be born again. And if you need to be born again in order to, to see, to participate in the kingdom of God. Now, this word born again, right, this, this word has come into, uh, in the 70s, from uh, Chuck Swindoll and Jimmy Carter. That's when this word came really into popular phrase, born again Christians. But here's what I mean. Born is this word, ordinarily, it's used in two ways, right? It's, it's the birth of a child, right? A mother gives birth. But it's also used in Scripture, the same word, where the father begets children, right? We know those are two different processes, Right, and so, but his father begets his children, right? So I, and so you look at uh, genealogies, right? You can see the two different genealogies of Jesus. One is from the father perspective, one is from the mother's perspective, right? A father begets, that's what born again. And this again is really not a, again uh, repeated. It actually means more from above. You need to be born from above or more specifically from heaven. So he said, Nicodemus, you need to be born from heaven. Or, or the Father who's in heaven needs to beget you and give you birth. It's a fascinating, it's a, an incredible statement, and you could see why it would bother or confuse anyone. Like, what does that mean? And here, the, the kingdom of God, he said, right, you, in order, you need to be born from the Father in heaven and in order for you to see, to participate in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God word is a loaded term as well. And here's just a simple way, I think, that can help us understand what the kingdom of God. It is the saving reign of God as Lord and King. It's the saving reign of God as Lord and King. So where the King is, is the kingdom. Where the Lord is, is the kingdom. And so for Nicodemus and for all the Pharisees, for them to see and for them to participate, they believed in the kingdom of God to come. They believed that they would participate and see and enter in the kingdom of God at the end of days. That's when the kingdom of God would be ushered in. And that in the resurrection, remember the the, the Pharisees actually believed in the resurrection life after this life. And so they said they believed that, that the kingdom of God would enter and they would participate it when the world would end and they would be a part of it. And then for order them to participate, all of Nicodemus's training, all his learning has taught him all of his religious life, which is all of his life, is that this preparation to participate, to see the kingdom of God would have been done through his obedience through the practice of his faith, for living out his faith, through fasting, through prayer, through giving, through observance and worship, all of that would have been how he would be able to one day participate and see the kingdom of God. In this one statement, Jesus takes down all that learning. And so Nicodemus, this is the one necessary thing. You need to be born... You need to be, the Father needs to beget you, give you life from above. That's the one necessary requirement. And of course, Nicodemus responds in his bewilderment. He, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Right? Nicodemus is like, this is a legit question. How can I be born when I am old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And it's, it's an incredulous response. 
And it's a bit of a scoff and scorn at Jesus, like, this is a nonsense teaching. And in this moment, Nicodemus opens his mouth and opens an opinion and reveals his lostness, reveals that he's a fool, and reveals that he is in spiritual darkness. I just want to stop for a moment because it may seem like, man, you're really hammering Nicodemus, right? And I am, but here's the thing. If you are to identify with anyone today in this passage, please identify with Nicodemus because that's what you and I are, Nicodemus. And what we know about Nicodemus is an incredible thing. In this moment, in this passage, it has not looked well upon Nicodemus. But we know later on in John that the father has given him new life, that the father has begotten his child in Nicodemus, that his heart is turned and he is found. So there, there is bad news right here in a moment in Nicodemus that reveals his darkness, but there is good news. But here's the thing. I think we all identify. Right? We reveal our darkness and we reveal our opinions and we reveal our, our foolishness when we open our mouth and speak things that we do not know, especially about our faith. We are a people that are quick to reveal our spiritual darkness. And James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So even in this passage today, we go, ah, we've heard it before. We know this story. I know what it means to be born again. <sighs> slow down. Slow down. Slow down. God is going to give you life. God is going to reveal something to you through his spirit today. Jesus answers him in John 3, 5, once again, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A, a, a different saying. Once again, that truly, truly, this is true, Nicodemus. This is true for every one of us. And you can see the, I want you to see the parallel images in John 3, 3 and 3, 5, right? It's really the same saying. He just says it in a different way. I, I want you to understand this is the same saying. It's not, a, it's not an additional requirement. It's the same thing. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, it's parallel, right? Born of water and spirit is, really means born again. If one is not born from the Father above or born of the water and the spirit, that is the same meaning. He cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the same meaning, see, participate. And Nicodemus would have understood that with see in that connotation, participate or belong or enter into the kingdom of God. It's quick to think like we think of this additional requirement maybe of water, right? And this water and spirit. And it's a capital S, by the way, born of the spirit. We think of, wow, this must be baptism. And what I would say is that baptism is not the primary illusion in this, pa in this passion. It is a secondary one. It is a secondary one. But it is not the primary one, or it's not the one that Nicodemus would have understood, and so Jesus wouldn't have spoken unless G Nicodemus would have understood that. Because you and I know in Scripture, we are not, in this passage, we are not saved by our obedience to the rite of baptism. The symbol of baptism is tied to being born from above. We are not saved, we are not born again, we are not begotten as children from a profession of faith. We are not born from above by the obedience of our faith. 
We are not born from above by the acts of our faith. Those are all the ways of, of Nicodemus. This is how he would have thought. All of those things, profession of faith, obedience of faith, acts of faith, those are all fruits of being born from above. Those are all things that I would think eventually are necessary. Profession of faith, those are things that are important. But those are fruits of the Spirit in which we are born from. And so what this water and Spirit is a, is a direct tie to, how is it tied to the Old Testament? Because Jesus is, is referring to an Old Testament connection. And it's used multiple times, but there's one passage which is really important to connect it to. But it's used multiple times. And it's in the culmination of God's covenantal promises in the Old Testament. God connects water, being born of the water and the Spirit. And it's in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Hear it clearly. This is what Jesus is alluding to. And, and it's something that Nicodemus would have known. This, this is what, they would have known this passage clearly because it's God's covenantal promise to his people. Clarified. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Right. So this, this sprinkling of water, which is what baptism is a symbol of, Right, the sprinkling of water is a symbol of purification. That God is purifying you, right? And so it's not an outward in; it's an inward outward thing. God is purifying us with the symbol of water. And He goes on, "I will give you a new heart, and I will give you a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice he says, I will put my spirit. That's capital S. He gives us a new spirit, which is ours, and he puts his spirit within us. This is the covenantal promise that God's, I'm going to change your heart because I know your heart is broken. Because I know you're in spiritual darkness. And God knows the solution to this is that he needs to change it inwardly. And he knows I need to get his spirit is what does this. Which is what we just read being born again. Being born from the Father above with the Holy Spirit. With a, with a water as a symbol and it cleanses us. This is a really important thing. that we just, we just saying it today, right? The holiness, right? Holiness is not in my actions in which I do, but holiness is Christ in me. It is the living spirit. That's, when, that's the holiness that resides in me, not in my outward actions that give me holiness. It's not in the outward actions that purify me. This is really important things because the church has really misspoken or misled about this for a long time, particularly on sexual purity. Sexual purity, we've kind of taught people to be sexually pure, and you're sexually pure if you're just abstinent of all those sexual behaviors outside of marriage. But the problem is, none of us were pure. None of us are pure just because you abstain from sexual activity outside of marriage. Because the problem wasn't the outward act. The problem with our purity and our holiness was our broken hearts. 
And every aspect of ourselves is broken. We are lost. We are fools. And this is why God says, I have to give you a new heart. I have to give you my spirit. And this is why he begins to change us from the inside out. The gospel truth is not our outward acts that make us pure. It's that God makes us pure. And why this is good news is because sinners, which we are, can be made pure by God. Sinners cannot be made pure by any offering, by any obedience, only by God. That's the gospel truth. That is the good news. This is God's, and God is the one that regenerates our personhood. He regenerates our character. He resurrects us. And, and the, any pure actions that come out of us are the budding of his fruit and his spirit in us. This is truth. So this is an incredible news. So this is why God's all your actions can be forgiven because God is the one that can do it. And God is the one that can change. And God doesn't just forgive. He begins to change us and our actions and our thoughts and our character through our heart. A new heart and a new purity. And Jesus applies this passage from Ezekiel to this imagery of being born or begotten from the Father above by his Spirit alone. And in this passage, you just begin to see, there it is, the Trinity. Clear as day. You are born again from nothing else but by the Father's will, by giving his Spirit to you. We get this passage, this promise in Joel 2, which is 28, which is actually quoted in Acts 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That God will fulfill his promise in Ezekiel. This is to further with our understanding of being born again, right? To understand that being born again by being born from above. This is really, instead of being born again, it really this is being means born from above. This understand it because God gives us his spirit. And then you remember the prologue in John? This is, what, this is what seals this fate and what born again means. The prologue in John, that, that it's the father begetting his children by his will. John 1, 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. People are born, not by our own actions, not by our own will, but because the Father begets his children. Period. That's the good news. The Father begets his children. All of this is a complicated way of Jesus saying, lost people can't find themselves because by definition you're lost. Children can't give birth to themselves. It's not possible. They're children. They need someone else to help this. You can't save yourself. Only God can do these things. Only God creates life. Period. All life. Physical life. Only God creates Only God creates new spiritual life, everlasting life. Only God gives that. Only God gives birth to his children. 
It is not the children's will. It is his will. It is not the children's ability. It is his ability and his will. It is his spirit. The father begets his children by giving them his spirit. And John 3, 6 through 8 says, Jesus goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that is what's born of the spirit is spirit. And Jesus is not using the flesh as, as Paul uses it, as saying sinfulness. He's just saying humanity. What is born of humans is humans. Like humans beget humans. Lost people beget lost people. That's what they do. But the spirit begets found people. Do not marvel that I said to you, uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again, or you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Jesus just hammers the point home to Nicodemus. Right? I know, Jesus is like, I know, humans beget humans. We all know that process. We all know how that works. And if you don't, go ask your parents. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, begets his spiritual children. That's what Jesus is saying. Do not marvel at this truth. It should be obvious to you. This was, this was promised in the Old Testament, Nicodemus. This was promised long ago. And then Jesus compares the Spirit of God to the wind, this metaphor wind, which, interesting enough, is that this is the same word in Scripture. Spirit, wind, breath. It's all the same word, both in Hebrew and Greek. And what does he say? He says, you can't control the spirit of God, just like you can't control the wind. But you know what you can do? You can detect it. You can detect wind, right? You know when it's windy. Hair blows around, you get pushed around, leaves go all over your yard. I mean, you, you see the evidence of the wind, but you don't control it. And just like the spirit, you don't control God, but you can detect God. You can see evidence of the Spirit moving in yourself and those around you. What's interesting is the next passage in Ezekiel 38, I mean 36, this, this, this covenantal promise that God gives a new spirit and new life and a new heart. You know what the next passage is in Ezekiel 37? It's the Valley of Dry Bones. Right, this imagery that he gives this vision to Ezekiel where all these dead people are just skeletons and God breathes out and speaks out and they become alive because it is that's how people come alive. Dead people, which we all are, come alive because the Father breathes it out, his spirit moves and things happen. He wills it and he happens. And so it is with every one of us. We might have physical life, but we are dead people unless the spirit moves in us and breathes upon us, and it's only the Father. We can detect those things. We can see the evidence that you can see in the, in the vision. The skeletons dance and move about, and so can you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Through the regenerate soul. It doesn't mean like you can necessarily know for sure. Only yourself can you know for sure. But you begin to say, oh man, there's some evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in people in those people. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus really pushes this point onto Nicodemus. And Nicodemus responds in verse 9. He says to him, how can these things be? How can you say what you say be true? I mean, it's really a rude response. Um, to be fair, Jesus went after him. 
<laughs> Jesus went after his soul identity. I mean, you're a teacher of teachers, Nicodemus, and you don't know these things in front of everyone. And, and then Nicodemus kind of, you know, as we all do, we get defensive. How can this be? This is nonsense. You see, Nicodemus was confident in his knowledge and his learning and his teaching. Nicodemus is dumbfounded by the teaching of Jesus, which reveals his lostness, which reveals his spiritual darkness. Right? For Nicodemus, devotion to God was obedience to his commands, joyful submission to his will, and, and his conditions. And all of that are, were, were conditions to participate and enter the kingdom of God, which none of those are bad things. Those are good things that Nicodemus held on to. But none of them are the reasons how he can participate or see. And, and the incredible thing is that in the midst of all this, right, Nicodemus has a vision that eventually I can participate in the kingdom of God. Right, but Jesus is saying in this moment, if you know, he said, kingdom of God is now. It's, na- it's not kingdom come, it's kingdom now. Because where is the kingdom? That's where the king's present. <laughs> he said, it's, it's not now, and you don't have to do all these things to, to participate and to see it. You just need to be begotten by my father. And then you participate right now in the kingdom of God. Because it, it, we don't create the kingdom of God. We don't create a nation for the kingdom of God. Jesus has created the kingdom of God and it's being ushered in by the Spirit. And here's the thing. You can't necessarily always see the kingdom of God, but you can detect it. You can see the evidence of the kingdom of God being fully ushered in. And one day, one day we will fully see it. It will fully be realized at the end of days. In John 3, 10 through 13, Jesus responds to this incredibly rude response. Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, true to you, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness. This is just another way of saying, I speak the truth. This is true, Nicodemus. And I bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe in heavenly things? Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying what he's saying right now is the earthly thing. He's saying to be born from the Father. He's saying, Nicodemus, this is really a simple thing that I'm teaching you. This is something you should know. This is foundational. This is the earthly thing. How can I ever teach you the heavenly things, the more things, the greater things? It goes right after Nicodemus. Jesus is pointing to him. Nicodemus, this was revealed in Scripture and you're lost. You do not know. You need to be born from above like everyone else does. Um, Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel truth that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. He's speaking to us today. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says it this way, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? He caused us because of his great mercy. He caused us to be what? To be born again. To be born from above. The Father 
begot and begets his children by giving his spirit. Interesting, also he puts it here and Peter says, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in which we're engrafted into. Seeing Jesus, right? Seeing the kingdom of God is knowing Jesus is king and he's Lord. Remember a couple of months ago, I gave you that sermon about, hey, the good news is Jesus is Lord and that we overlooked that, that he is the sovereign one. Seeing Jesus, entering and participating in his kingdom is knowing. And the only way that you know that Jesus is Lord and King is that the Father gives you his spirit to reveal it to you. And see, though the bad news is that we are all in spiritual darkness, that we have all at one time been lost. And the good news is that Jesus is on a mission. And his mission is what? In Luke 19, 10, to seek and save the loss, to find his children. This is his mission, which the Father, the Father's promised this long ago that he will do this, that he will beget his children, give life to his children through the giving of his Holy Spirit. You and I cannot make anyone know or see or fall in love with Jesus. You and I cannot make ourselves know, see, or fall in love with Jesus. You can't make yourself do it. But here's what you can do. We can pray. We can pray. we, We are called to proclaim this good news in which Jesus does as well. Right? And because I know the after effect, I am sure, I am sure that Jesus interceded for Nicodemus. That he prayed to his father. This one. I found him. Give him life. We can pray. You, you, can't, you can't give birth and you can't give life and you can't, tell, you can't have your children know Jesus unless the father gives it to them. But you can ask. You can be in that intimate relationship with God and you can ask. And I don't know if he'll grant it or not. But he is the only one You can ask for your friends and your neighbors, people in your community, the people that you can enter. You can ask God, Lord, find this child of yours. Give them life. We're all called to proclaim it. We're all called to live out that character and the fruits of the Spirit. But only the Father gives life from above. Speak and tell them the good news. Live out the good news, but pray for the Spirit in their lives. Pray for the Spirit (laughs) to continue to transform you in your life as well, too. You and I cannot love Jesus unless he loves us first. More specifically, unless he loves us into being his children. Jesus loves everyone. Everyone gets Jesus' love but there is a covenantal love that he gives his children. I want to go back to that passage of James 1, 19, and we're going to read the other verses attached to it because we we talked a little bit about how it reveals our spiritual darkness, right? Know this, my beloved brothers, my beloved covenantal love, my, my, my beloved siblings in the Lord, 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Because we don't want to reveal our lostness. (laughs) Or because it's also the kind and loving thing to do. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God is in right relationship with God. Really, you could just fill in the blanks here. Whatever of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here it's this anger. Your good works, your conceivedness of holiness in you does not produce the righteousness of God. Only God's righteousness produces his righteousness. Only God produces his holiness in you. And it's not you, it's his spirit, it's him in which he ties us to. And then it goes on in verse 21. Therefore, because only God does this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. And that was something we forget, right? We just say, okay, wickedness, we'll put away, right? But meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word. God begets his children. He gives us his spirit. He gives us new life. And what this passage is saying is live out that born from aboveness. Live it out. Don't hide it. Don't, don't hide that candle under a, a rock or right. be a city on a hill. Live out the born from aboveness and live out the fruits of the Spirit. And one of the main, the, I think the primary and the first fruit of the Spirit is, is repentance. Put away the filthiness. Receive the gift of God's breath and his word and his spirit with humbleness, with meekness. Humble yourselves, unlike Nicodemus in this, was unable to do in this passage in this moment. Humble yourself. That God gives his spirit to you. The implanted word, which is the spirit of God. The implanted word, which is the spirit of God, the word of God. Because only the spirit is able to save you, right? The father, that's the mechanism. The spirit is the one that saves you. And he does that through this, he calls it here, the implanted word. 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's just the same way of saying, another way of saying, what is the imperishable seed? The word of God? It's another way of saying, the imperishable seed is God, is the Holy Spirit, which is implanted in you, which all that refers back to the promise in Ezekiel. God will give you his spirit, put it within your heart. Brothers and sisters, fellow Beloved siblings, children of God, know that you are born from above by your Father, by the gifting of the indwelling Holy Spirit to receive Jesus as your Lord, your King, and Savior, and to participate in his kingdom right now. Live out that good news. Bear his fruit. Bear the fruit that you are born from above. Child of God, let us pray. Gracious Father, I am so thankful 
for this news, for this reminder, for this, for this hopeful understanding that it's not me, Lord. That it's not us. That your love goes beyond our ability. That your love goes beyond of who we are. That you love us despite who we are. And this love is, is transformative. That, that you have a heart that pursues us. It seeks us out. No matter how far we run, we can never run far enough away from you. I'm thankful that the salvation is not yet to come, but it begins now. And it's not finalized, but it's a work that's within us. It's your work. I'm thankful, God, that you are one that don't uh, hide from darkness, that you don't hide from people hiding from you, that you pursue us. Lord, help us to have your heart. Help us to pursue like you pursue. Help us to be drawn into a deeper relationship with you by your spirit today. To pray more. To love more. (laughs) To be slow to speak. To be slow to anger. To be quick to listen to others around us so they know your love and they know your truth. Lord, reveal to us today who we do need to pray for, who we need you to speak out to. Open up our hearts and minds this week to realize the people before us that are lost and proclaim your good news. And and Lord, we pray for them that they may receive, that you may give them new life from above and you may find your children. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.